God bless you. Some of the most looked for words in Pentecost, you may be seated. Well, we are starting uh, a five-session series, a college prep series, uh, basically for people who are in college or about to go into college, um, and not just uh, to be restricted to that, I guess, because uh, every one of us are going to bump into people uh, that have been college-educated, or as you know, the old time, educated. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to try to refrain from all the corny jokes tonight. <laughs> Tough crowd tonight. Everybody okay? All right, good to be back at Young Adults tonight. Um, I, we're going to have a fun time, and uh, there will be serious moments, and uh, we'll look at some hilarious stuff as well. But what we'd like to do in this next five sessions, if I could kind of prep the, uh, what we're doing, is to basically uh, let you know what you're going to encounter when you walk onto the college campus, because it, it really can shock you if you're not prepared. I, I wish I had time tonight to explore Colossians 2.8. I, I've done that numerous times. I'm sure at some point I have mentioned it down here. But Paul really does list the way that you will be taken as spoils of war. He says, beware lest any man spoil you, or literally to take you as spoil." Uh, through philosophy, which is ideas and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, teaching, and after the rudiments of the world. And uh, rudiments of the world is, is exactly right. We trip over that a little bit, the old English language. Uh, it's literally stoichian in the Greek, and that means spirit systems. And so there are, how many know there are systems in this world? And they're built by ideas, right? So ideas never stay ideas. They become the things that govern institutions, govern a family, govern a church, govern a movement. And basically, by the ideas of a movement, you can tell what spirit's behind it. That's why Paul says, we cast down every imagination uh, that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of Christ, bringing into thought every, cap- bringing every thought into captivity. What? To the obedience of what? Christ. That's exactly right. All right, and so that's, that's where the war is. I mean, the old timers used to say things, be careful of that music or be careful of that stuff. There's a spirit behind it. We're thinking, oh, you know, these old timers don't know what they're doing. But actually, they were entirely biblical and absolutely uh, correct and in some ways knew more about spiritual warfare than a lot of the weird stuff I hear taught today. I'll throw that all in for free. But it literally means if you want to know uh, what system is being built, you can tell by the ideas behind it. I promise that's true. That's true because Jesus says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's exactly right. And so the ideas behind it, that's why Jesus says, if, if you're going to be a worshiper and you're going to be a true worshiper, you must worship me in spirit. And all the Pentecostals said, amen. And in truth. It's not enough to just have the spirit. You also have to have the right ideas. That's why there are a lot of spirit-filled people without victory in their life because they're operating their life by the wrong ideas. But I'll leave that alone. Right? See, that's the, that's the point. You can be spirit-empowered, but if you don't understand the principles of God's word, you can walk in a victory that's way less than what God intended. Right, So ideas, spirit and truth operating together. And Paul says, if you're not careful, the enemy by ideas will take you captive, lock you into a spirit system. And once you get there, it's very, very hard uh, because he basically discloses that there's spirits behind those systems. Now, uh, Brother Lopez is upstairs frantically making copies of a wonderful workbook that I had <clears throat> prepared. 
and uh, it is coming. Uh, but we will go ahead and start because I do have a lengthy lesson tonight. I'm going to try to go quick, but I don't want to leave you behind in the conversation. I think these are important. We have already had some contacts of a lot of friends that are going to be uh, listening to us uh, via the internet, so uh, we welcome them as well, and I appreciate you uh, with all of your patience. How many here have either are in college or going to college or plan to go to college soon? Okay, quite a few hands. Okay, good. All right, so we're doing good. Now, here's the thing for all of the rest of us that say, wow, you know, I can kind of skip young adults for the next five lessons, you know. It's like uh, Brother Barkus just mentioned to me before we got up here, he said, make sure you let them understand that a lot of the ideas that you're going to face in your friends have been handed to them in the college setting. So we're going to look at that, and what we'd like to talk about is keeping your faith strong in college. That basically uh, means that we, we need to survive, and not only survive, but thrive during our college years. And the question might be, why are these courses necessary, Brother Kilman? What's the big deal? I mean, surely a Christian could go into college, kind of walk through college and be okay. Well, actually, statistics show us that 75 to 90 percent of high school seniors that say they are Christian abandon their faith by the, the, by the time that they matriculate the four years to graduation. Okay, that's staggering. All right, any thoughtful Christian should give serious pause uh, to this moment of walking into college and say, okay, how many of you think you're superhuman? Anybody see any superhumans here I need to know about? Okay, good. It's just us normal, you know, folks. That's good. That means if you're going to walk into the battleground, you better know which fights you're going to be walking into, and you better prep yourself way before you get on the college campus, or if you're not careful. Now, I'm going to tell you one of the, and I know this is going on the internet, and it's okay. I'm, I have permission to tell these stories. I have had uh, people come to IBC uh, that have uh, entered into our uh, OYB and TYB um, program. It's a one-year bachelor program where we take out all the uh, English and speech and all of the things that they've uh, basically qualified and graduated with, and then we, we put them in a one-year intensive, and it is an intensive. <laughs> and uh, uh, some people can say it tested that, you know, it is an intensive. All right, and, and the TYB program is if they have an associate's, we can give them a, a bachelor's degree by eliminating all of those same courses and uh, putting them through a very rigorous two-year uh, program. Now, what I have found in every, one, every single case is that some of those students walk up to me, and some pastors send them intentionally for this process. They say, Brother Kilman, I did not realize how much worldly thinking I had swallowed when I was in college. I had one young lady, uh, I will not say her name, although she has said this publicly, but I, I will not say her name. She had four years of a psychology degree. She got into contemporary theology. We started looking through some issues, and she said, Brother Kilman, there are basically seven approaches or veins to psychology, and, and I found the one that I thought would work because none of the others work because they're so liberal. The approach to God and, and, and let alone human beings was so liberal, I knew I couldn't get into that vein. She, she said, but you have just told me today that I cannot have that view. It was basically the social gospel, do good. I said, well, you have to remember, Tiffany, when you lose the battle, the grand battle for the hearts and minds of people, for the souls of humankind, you know what you do? You find another great fight to be involved in. And if you don't believe in eternity, well, what would, what's the next great fight? Well, just do good. 
And then you get into that whole downward spiral of uh, who defines good and how do you know for sure. And it ends in just chaos, right? So um, uh, this is a real statistic that you have to take seriously, that if you're going to walk into a college campus today, you had better know what you're walking into. Brother Rogenbush, how are you, sir? Great to have you with us. (laughs) I think so. They, they didn't comment. I don't know if that means I'm doing all right or not. <laughs> all right, so 75 to 90, 90% of high school, that's a staggering uh, statistic that we need to take very, very seriously. Okay, so um, I, I was uh, looking through some material, and I found some testimonials from uh, some uh, students that were in college. One, one girl said this, uh, In lecture today, you mentioned that you're a Christian. I have never heard that from any other professor. And every day I spend at this university, I feel my faith is under attack. Right, that's testimony from a young lady that had made it uh, to uh, the college university. Uh, in another book and, called uh, A Mind for God, one author tells his oldest daughter's experience as a freshman in one of our leading universities in the United States. Now, this is not, uh, it's not a young lady that received no training. She was actually very, very trained. And she came back to her father and told her father this particular experience through tears. All right, this is not somebody that's just, you know, kind of passe, walking in and blindsided. Uh, if you, you need to understand that this is a gal that's already been trained, but the pressure can still get to you even with the training. So let's, let's listen to what she said she experienced. In her first history course, her professor took it upon himself to announce that the entire historical record upon which Christianity is based is untrue. Right? First history course. All right? The entire historical record upon which Christianity is based is untrue. Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah, he said. None of his followers saw him as divine until centuries after his death. Okay? None of the Gospels were firsthand accounts. Uh, you know, they would probably say not written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, Jesus, how many of you have been to college already and you've heard something called Q? Anybody heard about Q? Yay! So there's a, a, some college students. Now I'm going to tell you what's unfortunate is some of our ministers don't know what Q is, and you do. All right, and and that's troublesome because we got to figure out where our kids. There's a reason 75 percent to 90 percent of our students are losing their faith when they hit college because they're being introduced to arguments, spurious claims that fight the Bible, that undermine the very fun foundation of inspiration. And, and sometimes we send them in unarmed, right? So, uh, you know, they would say, well, none of the Gospels were firsthand accounts. Jesus was not a religious figure as much as he was a political one. There was never an intent to form, they, he says, any kind of church. There were dozens of Gospels. Haven't you heard of the Gospel of Thomas? Haven't you ever heard of the Gospel of Thomas? How about the Gospel of Mary? You know, where Jesus is making clay pigeons as a kid and making them come to life. and Okay, all right. I mean, it's like all of these claims you're going to hit when you start looking at these Gospels. You realize that they were written sometimes 200, 300 years after Christ. And to put them on par with the Gospels is just crazy. All right? Uh, 
So I was just urged to unpack all of these statements as much as I would love to. But there are answers to all of these questions. But if you walk in and you are handed questions, you don't know what to do uh, or how to handle or what to do with, you need to realize that there are people that are thoughtful, that have been trained, and guess what? If you get stumped, it's okay. That doesn't make the Bible untrue. You just need to do a little legwork. You need to ask for some help, and you need to get some answers to the questions that people are giving you. And it's okay. All right, I promise you'll be fine. All right? <laughs> um, so there were dozens of Gospels, all of which were thought to be sacred by followers of the Jesus movement, he says. And the four Gospels in the Bible today are riddled with discrepancies and errors. In order to pass her first exam, uh, check this out. She had to write that Jesus was born in Nazareth, not Bethlehem. Deny Pauline authorship of 1 Timothy and maintain that the four canonical gospels are in complete disagreement on the major facts surrounding the death of Jesus, including when he was crucified, whether it was at the uh, Passover or before, or whether Judas uh, committed suicide or not. Right? So that's the, I mean, she walks back into her father in tears saying, I've been trained, but this is kind of the aggressive in your face attack that you're going to face uh, when you get to most university campuses. Why? Because colleges have changed. The modern institutions that we have today have drastically, in this last half century, uh, moved their position towards Christianity. And the average student, the moment you set foot on a contemporary con- uh, campus, your Christian convictions and your disciplines will be assaulted, I promise you. If you don't believe that's true, uh, you just haven't been to college yet. All right? Can I get a testimony? How many of you have had your Christian values assaulted on the campus? Absolutely right. All right? And, uh, and this is the things that you'll hear. Uh, not only from your friends, but from the teachers themselves. Faith is just a crutch. The Bible is just mythology. Don't take it so seriously. It's just a myth. Christianity is judgmental and intolerant. Morality is different everywhere. How can you argue for your belief? Morality is different everywhere. Everyone must find his own truth. Or I can be good without God. Or Jesus was just a man who died. Not really Messiah. You're making too much out of this. These are the type of remarks that the average student run into in college. And it's no wonder that when they do, a lot of Christians who don't know what to do with these particular questions, because they've not heard a Sunday sermon on it, because we don't normally preach on that. But they need to find a setting where they can get some answers to these particular questions so that they can uh, stay strong. What happens to the typical Christian is they become defensive, but without a way to defend. Right? Now, how many of you will be brave and testify that you have found that to be sometimes your experience in college? All right, raise them high if you're brave enough. Okay, good. Well, look around you. Those are solid people. All right, now here's the, re- the problem. It's not because there's not answers, uh, but there's just new questions that you have not been asked yet, and that's okay. If you find yourself with a new question you don't know the answer to yet, that's okay. Just do a little legwork, and uh, I promise you, you can find answers to these particular things. All right, there's a wonderful article, and I don't know how much of this I'm going to read, by Dennis Prager. Uh, Brother Mooney gave us a great resource. Uh, It's a magazine called The Whistleblower. And if you are headed there and you want to look up one particular edition, uh, look up the one that's called The College Illusion. It's just jam-packed with wonderful, wonderful things about the reality of college. You know what college should help you do? Get paid more. 
Because, I mean, college used to be a place where they trained you to be a better person. It ain't like that anymore. Right, so the best you can hope for your for your college education is to uh, to be trained to have some type of technical skills to make money, because if you're going to put forty hours in somewhere, why not make you know fifty dollars an hour instead of five? Right, so that's okay. Right, but you, and and that's that's kind of the end game. But a general studies degree is worthless. You just put yourself in debt for like nothing. It's terrible. Don't do that. Be thoughtful. I'm not saying you can't change your major or change your focus of study. That's okay. Uh, But listen to what uh, Dennis Prager says. As high school seniors throughout America will be receiving acceptance letters to colleges within the next month, it would be nice for parents to meditate on what they're getting for their $20,000 to $50,000 they will pay each year. (laughs) Excuse me. All right, so let's look what we're paying for. All right, this is the type of education that, that you'll be getting in most of the universities uh, across America. They will claim things like this. The U.S. is no better than any other country, and in many areas, worse than many. On the world stage, America is an imperialist country, and domestically, it mistreats its minorities and neglects its poor while discriminating against non-whites. Right? I promise you. Is that true? Well, no, duh, it's not true. But I promise you, that's the thing. It's like Tony Blair said, you can, you can tell the greatness of a country by the, uh, the numbers of people trying to get into that country. And there's a reason, he says, America's still the greatest nation in the world. Everybody wants to go to America. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I get a little wearisome from elitists who are sitting in a college campus somewhere tearing down America instead of saying, this is still, do we have problems? Well, of course we do. But this is still the greatest nation in the world, or else why was, would everybody be trying to come here? I'll leave that alone. I'm going to go into political rant. All right, this is no better, uh, there is no better or no worse literature and the arts. The reason universities in the past taught Shakespeare, Michelangelo, and Bach rather than, let's say, Guatemalan poets or Sri Lankan musicians and Native American storytellers was Eurocentrism. You thought what you believed was the best and the only right way, you Eurocentric person. I got to quit. All right, God is at best a non-issue, at worst a foolish and dangerous belief. They're very happy for you to be Christian if you'll shut up and stay quiet about it and adopt all of their ideas. And you can say you're a Christian as long as you live according to the ideas I tell you. So they're very happy for you to do that. Christianity is largely a history of inquisitions, crusades, oppression, and anti-intellectualism, which is a total lie. Islam, on the other hand, is a religion of peace, they say. Therefore, criticism of Christianity is enlightened, while criticism of Islam is Islamophobia. And if you did not see that particular uh, clip that Brother Mooney played upstairs, I don't think some of you did because you were down here. You need to come see me, and I need to hook you up to show you where Islam is giving billions of dollars to universities all over America, the world, to promote Islam as uh, as an idea. Okay, Israel is a racist state, morally no different from apartheid in South Africa. That's what they say. Big government is the only humane way to govern a country. You're going to find that. All right, the South votes Republican because it's still racist, and the Republican Party caters to racists. All right, am I making this up? How many of you have been in college and you already see stuff that looks very familiar? Okay, you're laughing because it's true, isn't it? All right, mothers and fathers are interchangeable. 
claims that married mothers and fathers are the parental ideal and bring unique things to a child are heterosexist and homophobic. All right, I promise you. All right, now I'm going to tell you, you have to be very careful about saying, I'm going to spend twenty dollars to $50,000 to train my kid in these ideas. Now, you need to send them to college so they can make money, and you need to go to college so you can make money, but at the same idea, you better not drink the Kool-Aid, right? Because these ideas are, uh, are not true. Whites can be racist. Non-whites cannot be. Why? Because whites have power, and the powerless cannot be racist. I remember sitting in a, uh, one particular uh, class in graduate studies, and we were reading a book called uh, White Privilege. It was a very interesting class. And I'll, I, I'll, I'll not tell every war story, but I'm going to tell you, I promise you, you're going to walk into those things. If you, if you want a great conversation piece or study on that particular uh, subject, look at Shelby Still's uh, work entitled White Guilt, How Blacks and Whites Together Destroyed the Hope of the Modern Civil Rights Era. That's powerful stuff. One of the best reads you can have on that particular issue. I, I got to quit. Uh, the, great, <laughs> the great world and societal battles are not between good and evil, uh, but between rich and poor, the powerful and the powerless. Patriotism is usually a euphemism for chauvinism. War is ignoble. Pacifism is noble. Human beings are animals. They differ from other animals primarily by having better brains. We live in a patriarchal society, which is injurious to, uh, to women. Women are victims of men, and blacks are victims of whites, and Latinos are victims of Anglos, and Muslims are victims of non-Muslims. Gays are victims of straight. Big corporations are bad. Big unions are good. <clears throat> There's no objective meaning to a text. Every text only means what the reader perceives it to mean. I think that statement's a lie. That's not just perception. <clears throat> the American founders, they say, were sexist, racist slaveholders whose primary concern was preserving their wealthy status. All of these things are ideas. I promise you, you don't have to be there very long and you're going to catch the undercurrents. The Constitution says what progressives think it should say. I'll just leave it alone. All right, the American, the American dropping of the atom bomb on Hiroshima was an act of racism and a war crime. They teach that the wealthy have stacked the capitalistic system to maintain their power and economic benefits. The wealthy Western nations became wealthy by exploiting third world nations through colonialism and imperialism. See, I have to resist the urge. You know I want to spend like 20 minutes on each one of these points, don't you? Okay, all right, defining marriage as the union of a man and woman is as immoral as defining marriage as the union of a white and a white. So if you, I mean, it's just racist, right? If you, all right, so when we're downtown, what was it, uh, two days ago, Brother Rumbush, when Brother Mooney was speaking uh, on uh, the whole issue regarding marriage, I believe Brother Toby, uh, Tobias was there. Who else was there? Anybody else there? Yes, we have a few in here that were there. Good. And so, uh, you know, you, if you understand anything about psychology, just ignore the evidence that every psychologist says and just kind of go with what you feel. All right, I got I to behave. All right, uh, here are some conclusions that he makes in this article. If this is basically what you're going to be taught at college, if this list is accurate, 
He said, and all you have to do to confirm this is to go to a college bookstore and see what books are assigned by any given instructor. That would be a fun field trip. I promise you. Uh, because when you start seeing what they're trying to teach you, and, and pretty soon you're going to start a family and have children, and, and, and when you, you know, meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright and it starts working, you better understand and equip yourself uh, of what you're going to face when you walk into these particular classrooms. Most American parents uh, and or their child are going to go into debt in order to support an institution that for four years during the most impressionable years of a person's life instills values that are opposite of those of their parents. Yay, they're bringing in copies. Are you going to pass them out, Brother Lopez? Yeah, that'd be great. <clears throat> I knew they were forthcoming. All right, and here's the, here's the point. This kind of uh, way of approach in four years to kind of dismantle what your parents have taught you is intentional. Are you squinting to try and see that? All right, look at, look at what Woodrow Wilson said. He was a, the a progressive president of Princeton University before becoming president of the United States. He said this in a speech in 1914. I have often said that the use, catch that, the use of a university is to make young gentlemen as unlike their fathers as possible. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's the focused intention of the college university. All right, in 1996, in his commencement address to the graduating seniors at Dartmouth College, the then president of the college, James uh, O. Friedman, cited Wilson's quote favorably, and in 2002, in another commencement address, Friedman said, the purpose of college education is to question your father's values. Okay. Now listen, <laughs> that's the sad intention of three presidents of a college. One of them went on to become the president of the United States. Change, change. I'm, I'll, be, I'll be hate. Uh, for Wilson, Friedman, and countless other university presidents, he says in his article, the purpose of college education is to question or actually reject one's father's values, not to seek truth. They're not interested in truth. They're wanting you to reject your father's values. Fathers then represents, he says, traditional American values. The university is there to undermine them. And that's their stated intention. And then he asked this very poignant question. Still want to get into years of debt? <laughs> and I will tell you this much. If it's not about a better job, uh, they're not going to teach you to be a better person. So get, go out and be a, a business owner, uh, make money, raise a family, love God, uh, love your traditional American values. Because if you think somehow going there, they're going to tell you the right ideas. It is a re-education program. Okay? All right, so uh, here's what I would say then. If you're going to survive in college, crayon Christianity is not enough. Right? What do you mean by crayon Christianity? Well, crayon Christianity is what I'm talking about, what the Christianity that you learned at your mother and father's knee. And I will tell you that's good, but it often isn't enough. That means you have to move from an embedded faith. And by embedded faith, I mean, uh, Brother Pelletier, just kind of what mom and dad put in you, right? And that's good. What's the good of embedded faith? It got you here. 
But then you need to move to a more deliberative faith, a faith that deliberately thinks out whether or not these things are true. That's why Paul praised the Bereans because they searched the scriptures to find out if he was preaching the truth. You should find out whether or not I'm lying to you about what they teach in college. That's an easy thing. We already got some testimonials from some students in college right now. All right? And so crayon Christianity isn't enough. Why? Because many cults on the college campus take Christians' words and they pour occult meanings into them. They do. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is... No, you do not. You believe, Mr. Mormon, that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. You know? You believe... Never mind. You believe a whole lot of stuff I can't talk about tonight. Right? So you'll find that, that, that the cults have a huge presence on college campuses, and that's one of the tame versions. You'll also find that professors and students will constantly misrepresent Christianity. All right, here's bluntly what that means. You're going to end up doing double the work. If you're going to go through college, and you're going to survive, and you're going to make it through, this means you're going to have to, you ready? You're going to have to read the books they assign, and you're going to have to read more books. And my niece Melody called me today. She's uh, writing a thesis statement, uh, our, a persuasion <laughs> uh, thesis paper. And uh, she said that, uh, you know, I want to write it on the truth of Christianity. I said, yay. <laughs> and she said, well, I need some outside sources. So I start making suggestions, you know, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, Evidence That Demands a, a Verdict, uh, The Long War Against God by Hen, uh, uh, Henry Morrison. All of these books is what you're going to have to pick up. You ready? To fight the liberal ideas and find out whether or not they're saying something to you is true. Right? That means you're going to have to do double the work. I hate it. But it's absolutely true. I deserve two graduate degrees because I read all those books they told me to read and others to see the lies that they were trying to feed me. And unfortunately, you're going to have to do that too. That means doing double the work, doing double the reading, and having double the instructors. That means you're going to have to say, Brother Kilman, I got stumped by something. Or, or Brother Rodenbush, there's something that I need to hear. Or, uh, you know, you're going to ask one of the other young ministers that have already, are you ready? Somebody that's already had that prop. Are they open to me really sharing my ideas? Or do I have to hold my cards close to my chest just to make it through this class? Oh, they will never fail you for having, you know, ideas about Christianity. Yes, they will. Not every instructor, but some of them absolutely. Has it ever happened to you, Brother Kilman? Yes. And Well, you know, God is good, though. God can give you favor, and, God, and if, as long as you're respectful, don't be an idiot. Please don't be an idiot. Going there thinking you're going to change that college professor. Don't do that. You share the truth and try to offer clarifying issues and represent yourself well. And you can do that some things in papers that you can't do verbally. But always, always, always be respectful. And most of the time, that you, you know, you can find a way to share your, your beliefs in a, a productive way. Sometimes you just can't. Should I illustrate that? Okay, so I'm sitting in a class, and we were writing on whether or not all ideas are equal. And he was a history guy. So I was like, well, sure. I mean, he's a history guy. Well, I, I said, you know, in, we, all ideas are welcome to the arena of public opinion. Come bring your idea. But it has to be tested because not all ideas are equal. History has just shown us that some things don't work, like 
socialism and communism. I didn't know he was buddies with Hugo Chavez. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, the next time we had to write a paper, the third paper of the class, he said, um, listen, I don't want your ideas. He said, I want you to just tell me what the book said. <laughs> so it was okay. I got to be in the class. And, it, you know, I should not have got to be in the class. And I, I know that's true because later he was under pressure, thought I was going to go to the academic dean. And I was not. I was just going to let it slide. And he did change my grade about two months later. I think he got nervous. Okay, so God can help you through those uh, kind of struggles and you can survive. And, and you'll find out, you ready? I, I promise this is true. You need to kind of mix it up with people and find out which instructors not to take. In some campuses, it, it really is that aggressive. All right? Uh, so uh, what can happen then when you walk into situations like that is you can feel exposed and defenseless. Uh, you, you can feel like you don't find a uh, way forward. What you encounter sometimes will just shock you, and that's absolutely right. So how do, how do you respond? Well, you, you shouldn't just hide in a box and kind of withdraw. You ready? You need to find answers. I had one particular uh, prof make an argument that I had never heard about David and Jonathan. It's a horrible, horrible argument. She made an argument from the language, and I went and looked at it, and she was just lying. And that's okay. So find out they're lying. And even if you never say anything to them, them you can know that. And this, the second thing you need to do is if you can't find the answer, seek help from other people. Bend somebody's ear. I need to have some coffee with you and talk over some things because I'm rattled. And I don't know what to do with this. And good questions deserve good answers. And every time I've been pressed, I promise you, I've looked for answers and found them and my faith has been strengthened. <clears throat> Okay, uh, so, and then you need to think about how do I share what I've learned? Well, I've already talked about it a little bit. You have to be careful. Make sure that you're respectful. In some classes, your opinion will not be welcome. The best thing you can do in those classes is to hold your cards close to your chest, keep your head down, and make it through. I know all of my combative people are like, well, bless God, I'll take an F. Well, remember... You know, GPA sometimes equals scholarship equals thousands of dollars you don't have to pay. So just, you know, if it's not worth the battle, you know what you can do? You can look at that if they're not open. Uh, the Bible says sometimes you, you don't rebuke a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. You can have stupid conversations and look stupid with stupid people. It's probably too crass, excuse me. All right. All right. Uh, here, here's another thing I, I need to kind of caution you with is to be willing to question experts. That means you don't accept what they say blindly. I mean, I promise you that's not true. I, uh, but Brother Kilman, aren't these people distinguished members of academia? Yes, but sometimes people are educated beyond their knowledge. It really is true. And, and they, they, like, I, I remember being in one particular class, a lady was making an argument out of Genesis 1, and her language was wrong. But she's a Ph.D. Well, so, who cares? And I questioned her on the language and pressed her for a little consistency, and she turned to her T.A., who was an Anglican priest, and he had way more language than her, and he says, that's the way we understand the Hebrew now. I was like, you could just say I'm right, it's okay. Right, so that means you do not accept everything they say. Right? You need to know that, that you're going to walk in, and sometimes you're gonna, they're just going to be misinformed. Sometimes they're going to accept what other so-called experts have said, and sometimes they will intentionally lie. 
right? <clears throat> so look at the evidence uh, yourself then. And, and normally you'll run into two kinds of professors. The one who just kind of hammers you with his worldview. Uh, you'll find this mostly like in biology or science departments where they will say, science is all there is. There's no truth outside the realm of science. Right? How many of you have heard something like that? Okay, good. See, shaking heads for all of those that have been in college. And they will say, the only truth that you can empirically know is through science. You know, they hate on English majors and they hate on, you know, all the other people in the other departments. And, and then the other departments make fun of them. Why? Because the scientific law can only measure what's observable, uh, what's, uh, what is it? Observable, measurable, repeatable. And if it's not observable, measurable, and repeatable, then science can't know that. Well, can you subject the scientific method to what's observable, measurable, repeatable? Nope, it's a statement of philosophy. So maybe there's truth outside of the uh, realm of science. There's truth in the realm of philosophy. All right, so uh, that's kind of one thing that you'll run into. The second is one who acts like that he, he has no worldview at all. I'm kind of the unbiased uh, professor. I'm just giving you the facts. And, and, and unconsciously, all of what he says is shaped by his worldview. All right, so those are the two types of uh, professors that you'll run into. I'm going to um, uh, play something real quick. This is called uh, Pressures from Profs and Peers. College was definitely the professors. I mean, right out the gate at college, I had a bunch of pretty crazy professors. Even living in the Bible Belt in the South, everything was liberally planted. I would say that uh, my college experience has had times where I just completely doubted everything I was taught. Just could have given it up, thrown it out the window. I had a medieval history teacher who basically stated at the beginning of the class that he hated Christianity, and that's the only reason he taught the class. In my freshman year, I went to biology. And the first day, our teacher said that he believed in evolution, creationism was stupid, and that Christians were stupid, and that if you believe in a god, that you know, you're basically unintelligent. For the first time, I had to not only deal with my professors, but also all these students who I was living with who didn't share my worldview at all. I was the only conservative and the only Christian I knew. My first semester my freshman year, I was enrolled in a philosophy class that was critical thinking, and it very much took God out of the picture because that was our teacher's personal opinion and view. I was very surprised when I went to college at how shaky my Christian background was. Even though I was at a Christian university, though, that didn't mean that my teachers are Christian. When you have a college that advertises its mission statement with Christian values in it, the last thing you expect to hear in a classroom is that if you believe in the inerrancy of scripture, that you are ignorant. Christian colleges can be very dangerous because you go and there's so many different theologies, it shakes your faith completely. I think that the biggest challenge for me was um, a Bible class that I took, and I had one of the most liberal teachers at my college. Everything that he was teaching me, like, shattered the foundation that I had been taught, which you wouldn't think would happen at a Christian school, but it does. And so I found myself debating in my head, you know, what to believe, and kind of having to really, really focus on, on developing my own foundation. I remember feeling very ill-equipped for certain issues. Um, dealing with the Bible, uh, a lot of my professors, they were very intellectual people, so they, they knew the Bible back in the front. I was friends with people who just completely gave up, like, I don't know what to believe. When presented with some of the evidence that the world has come up with to defy God, 
it scared me how convincing it was. I was not prepared because I hadn't learned about everything else that people believe. I was not prepared to hear all the different views that could be presented. Okay. Now that's uh, testimonials from uh, students uh, that basically walked into the college campus. And even, did you catch that even on <laughs> Christian campuses? How many of you have been shocked? How many of you have been shocked? How many of you are on a, a so-called Christian college campus? Uh, you guys go to a so-called dry, right? Is it, no, not IUPY, uh, but uh, U of I is, right? And it's a, a dry campus, but have you been shocked at some of the arguments that you've heard? Right? And you would think, all oh, these people are good Christian people. I don't care what name is on the college if they are undermining inspiration. I don't care what kind of college it is. If it's a Bible college, we need to push back against those type of issues. Because you need to walk in knowing that anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ is what the Bible declares it is. When Paul wrote in Corinthians, and it's, it's an attack from the enemy. You've just identified your enemy. I'm not telling you to hate people. I'm just saying that the ideas that they represent is an evil behind the evil. Right? And that's, that's a savvy knowing what you're walking into. So why do some people fail in uh, co- college? Well, uh, people fail for lots of reasons. One may be that they're caught up in radical positions, uh, especially political, uh, popular political issues among many students. Now, that used to be, was like, thank God people said the 60s died. Well, it didn't die. They all graduated. <clears throat> and if you want to know where they went, read Slouching Towards Gamara by Judge Bork. He'll tell you exactly where they went. Maybe you understand a lot of what's happening in America right now, right? And what, but that's not the only thing. The political ideas that are circulating now, like what? What's the big political hot button? It's kind of dying because it's been proved wrong. But what was the big political hot button, uh, what, four years ago, five years ago? What was it? Biggest political hot button, social pressure, po- political hot button on campuses across America. I'm going to say it, and you're going to hate yourself for not. The green movement. Protect the environment, right? Okay. <laughs> if you want an interesting uh, uh, study, go look in the 1970s. You know what they were talking about? Global cooling. We're in a trend of global cooling. And if we don't do something about it, we're all going to freeze. Okay, I'll leave it alone. All right, but here's what happens. Here, I, I'm going to tell you. You're, you're telling me, Brother Kilman, there's no way. Well, I'm going to tell you from personal experience. I watched a young man that we were working on a series on worldview who told me that he was supposed to deal with the issue of political voting, and he said, I want to talk about stewardship of the earth. He had a lot of passion in his voice. He did. But I'm going to tell you, I said, um, are you going to mention abortion? You know, in Amos, you know, one of the sins that God says he wouldn't hold the nation blood guiltless for. Oh, yeah, I guess I need to include that. All right, totally corrupted by the education system. All right, he's taken captive in that particular area of his mind. Now, if you want to talk about the green movement, whether or not there's global warming and stuff, man-made global warming, come talk to me. We'll have a fun conversation. But that's beside the point. What I want to talk about is be careful because you can get caught up on issues and be exploited uh, by people in these political movements. Uh, that means people ultimately say, I have my own ideas about redeeming the world. And, and politics, you ready, becomes a substitute religion. That's why I'm not against soup kitchens. But if that's all you do and you never preach a cross and you never preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost, fold your church up. Because they need more than soup. 
All right? uh, they, and some people commit certain sins that they don't want to repent of. And when they come into church and they feel the presence of God, you know what happens? They're uncomfortable. And they begin to look for reasons to believe he doesn't exist. That's why some students lose their belief on the college campus. They'd rather party, and if they can find a, a, a way to talk about God in a different way and kind of soothe their conscience, they absolutely will buy into it. So uh, if you're uncomfortable with the laws of God, guess what? Atheism will give you a very clever way out. You just do away with a lawgiver. So you can dismiss God. You can say something like this. Human beings created God in their image, and the most basic ideas about good and evil are just arbitrary. Right? And that's, that's one particular way forward. I was a, a talking to Lauren, my niece, and she had a friend uh, who she was talking with, and, and he was just, I mean, I'm going to tell you, he was, he was a brilliant guy. By the way, the Bible talks about fools, but it's, it, it never speaks of fools as having a lack of intelligence. There are brilliant fools. Right? Uh, a fool is just someone who says that they're smarter than God. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, like they have subpar intellect. And this particular guy was making an argument for atheism. I mean, he could quote uh, Kierkegaard. He could quote, you know, certain types of thinkers. And Lauren was in over her head. So I jumped in and gave her a hand. And uh, then I finally started just pressing him for the consistency of atheism. You don't believe in any values. You can't say words like justice or hope or right or wrong. Those are all arbitrary definitions. You can't say something like you love your wife. You can't say that. It's just kind of these animalistic urges that make, secrete some type of fluid in, in your body that makes you think you love her. Right? There are no high ideals. It's all arbitrary. It's all in our mind. Nothing like that is real. That's just unlivable. And I pointed him towards a, a parable by Frederick Nietzsche called Parable of the Madman. If you have a good atheist friend, you want a good witnessing tool, that's a great one. And he points out that if, if we lose God, everything is gone. And anything can be right because nothing is right or wrong. And so um, it's kind of this elitist kind of Prometheus. You know, I'm against everybody. I'm just going to acknowledge, yes, that I'm the brilliant one who can live on that cold, ragged edge of the reality that there is nothing worth living for. And then you can get into like Camus and the theater of the absurd where they say they have significance. How? By committing suicide. Who is, the, who is the American writer who did that? American short story writer that did that? Oh, that's right. Ernest Hemingway. Who said it? Yes, Kevin. Ernest Hemingway. To prove that they have meaning. All right? It, that's just unlivable. Look at what this says. The main, people, uh, the main reason people lose their faith in God, God in college, though, basically is sheer mulish pride. It's just pride. They don't want God to be God. They want to be God. I want to determine my own life, and if I can do away with God, guess what? I can live the way I want to. Now, here's the problem. A strong mind refusing the call to serve God has its own way of going wrong. And most people that hit the college level um, fall into this category. Right? So some people, when they, they flee from God, might rob or kill. Other people might do drugs and get involved, involved in illicit relationships. But others uh, do what I want to call get stupid. What do you mean by get stupid, Brother Kilman? Well, as one man put it, there are some forms of stupidity that you must be highly intelligent and educated to commit. Um, I, I got to resist the urge to tell hillbilly stories there. Okay. <clears throat> do, do, you hear, do you hear the story about the guy who's changing his tire 
He's got his hubcap off and put the lug nuts in the hubcap. He's changing the tires outside of the insane asylum. Gets his tire on, hits the uh, hubcap over, and, and some of his uh, lug nuts roll in the, uh, or all of them roll into the sewer. And he's looking, and he's like, now what do I do? All of a sudden, this guy's look at, standing at the window. He looks out, and he goes, uh, he goes, hey, I know how you can fix your tire. And I'm like, oh, great. Not only am I in trouble, now the loony's going to help me. He says, uh, yeah, what do I do? He said, well, he said, it's easy. He said, you pop off your other hubcap, take uh, three lug nuts off of each of the other tires, and then uh, put it on your tire, and you can drive to the nearest gas station and, and make it there uh, easily. I said, well, that's, that's amazing. That's brilliant. So he does it, and he puts the hubcap back on, and he looks at it and says, hey. He said, I appreciate it. He said, what are you doing in a place like this? He said, I'm here for being crazy, not stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. All right. Oh, no. I, I don't know why I told that. All right. All right. Here's what Paul said. Knowledge of God existence is plain. Where? In creation. And, and knowledge of his laws, he says, is written on our hearts. And our conscience also bear witness of this. Romans 2.15. That means so long as we have minds, we can't not know these things. Um, it's like people that write books uh, uh, like, you know, uh, the God delusion. Why God's not good. I, I heard one guy, he was talking about, he said, I don't believe in unicorns. He said, but you don't find me writing books called Unicorns Are Not Good. <laughs> the unicorn delusion. He said, no, I just kind of live my life like unicorns doesn't exist. He says, but, you know, it, it, it's kind of like that line from Shakespeare, methinks thou dost protest too much. You know, where your heart is actually showing you that you spend so much of your time and energy arguing against something that you don't believe exists. Okay. All right, I, I need to hurry. All right, but here's the point. Those determined not to know God or the lawgiver end up having to de literally destroy their minds. So if you say something, do you love your wife and children? A consistent person would have to say, no, it's merely a subjective preference with no real objective value. All right, uh, he, uh, one particular author said it this way. Visualizing a man opening the panels of his mind in the institution and pulling out components that have God's image stamped on them. I'm going to pull open my mind, and I'm going to take everything about God out of there. He said, here's the problem that you have. Everything in there has God's image stamped on it, so the man can never stop. No matter how much he pulls out, there's still more to pull. This particular author talks about his own struggle with coming to realize that I cannot be an atheist. He says over time, people, and he in particular, came to feel a greater and greater horror about himself. And the over, overpowering sense that their condition was terribly wrong. And he said, why should I feel this horror? If this is really not true, why do I feel the way I do? And then he said, well, that's probably because I am stamped with the image of God. And there are some things that are simply not livable. So our conscience, Paul says, bears witness against these faulty notions. And you cannot live that way. Right? Uh, and I, I better stop. It's already 9 o'clock, so I better stop right here tonight. And I, I would like to close with this one particular story. There was a man, uh, an apologist, Christian apologist, giving a, a lecture on a, a college university campus. And one guy came up to him and he said, oh, you, I mean, and he said, literally, after saying, I believe in values, I believe in God, and I, I believe that Christianity is true, he said he looked like an idiot to everyone in the room, right? You ready? Be prepared to feel that way. 
And then he says, the guy walks up to him and says, how can you believe this? And he says to him, well, he said, let me ask you a question. If I took a little baby, your daughter's asleep, thank God. If I took a, a little baby and I cut it up in front of you right here, would you say I've done something wrong? And the man said, because he said, I, you know, he believed in Nietzsche. He believed in dust, the whole dust thrustness. There's no right, no wrong, no values at all. He said, I wouldn't like what you've done. But no, I couldn't say that you've done anything wrong. Now, you have to imagine the horror that was in the crowd. Now, that guy's looking like an idiot. And he said to him, now, sir, you have denied the fact of evil and the face of evil. But not even you can get away from the feeling of evil. And you better figure out why that feeling is inside you so strong. Because if you're created in the image of God, every one of us has a sense of justice. Every one of us can look in the face of horror and say, this is wrong. At the, at the trials when they were uh, dealing with uh, Hitler's Germany and, and the, the fallout from that, one particular man on trial, he argued that by German law, it was legal for them to do everything they did which was absolutely true. And if morality is just based by uh, cult culturally determined, how can you say what Hitler does was wrong? The guy says at the Nuremberg trials, he said, he said well, he just stops the guy in mid-sentence and he says, you know what you did was wrong. Now, based, <laughs> now listen to me. Without the Bible as a guide and the foundation for what right and wrong is, he couldn't say that. So why did he win? It shouldn't have worked, folks, except for that guy knew that by being imprinted with the image of God. And even the man on the stand knew, and that's why he closed his mouth. Because we are created in the image of God. And there are some things that are unlivable. And when you walk onto a college campus, you need to know that uh, some of the arguments you're going to be offered are just, they're just arguments. They are not livable. Stand with me. My Lord, I, I don't uh, know how we're going to do this one. <laughs> Um, all right, so next time maybe we'll talk about stones or something or the two kinds of attack that you'll face uh, in, in college, and, and we'll wrap up. We'll, we'll negotiate where we go from here. How many of you have found this uh, educational or at least enjoyable so far? Okay, good. Well, I promise you that this is, uh, uh, we're going to have some practical stuff too, not just the intensely philosophical. What we want to do is show you how to succeed, and there's some very, very basic things that you can do to do that. Right? So let's, let's pray together. God. I pray you bless this time, uh, Lord, as we depart. I, I thank you for your truth, God. I thank you for the guidance of your spirit. I pray that you would strengthen every college student uh, that's currently in college. Lord, that you would bless everyone about to enter. God, that you would help us to be strong friends to those that are making this journey together. That you'll help this young adult group to band together and lock arms with these uh, wonderful students that are walking onto campuses, Lord, and that we can be a source of strength and guidance to see them through these tumultuous years and help them face every battle, God, and not only survive with their Christian faith intact, God, but to thrive there and to be a witness there, Lord, and give them opportunities to share their faith because this world is looking for answers. And we know that you've created us to be exactly salt and light in this world of darkness that needs someone to reach them. I pray that you would encourage them and bless them through this study. I thank you, God, that they're giving their time to you to worship you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, God, that they would be equipped, thoroughly furnished, God, to every good work that you called them to. 
We give you praise for it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God bless you. We'll see you next week.